0: Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Well, uh, when Pastor asked me if I would fill in for him, uh, I was quite fearful. It was sort of short notice for me, not normal, but for me. Uh, I don't do this all the time, and Pastor's not away very often, so this is kind of a unique thing. But I, I told him, I said, Pastor, could I check through some notes and things and see if I might have something worthy to bring, and I'll get back to you tomorrow. So I did that, and I got into my old notes and different things. And the Lord led me to this almost immediately. It just seemed to fit so, so appropriately for who we are now. But I will tell you that it was 40 years ago that I first brought this message. And I should have known that because the paper was yellow. It was a lined notebook paper written in pencil. So that, that should have clued me in that this was an ancient work. But it was 40 years ago. Uh, I was a young believer. Not necessarily a young person, but a young believer. And I was in a church that was very much, very, very much just like this one. We were very small. In fact, if we were 25, everybody was there. Uh, We were in El Toro in Orange County, and it was kind of a military town because of the bases there. So we had military families that would come and join with us, and then they would be reposted or reassigned, and they would ship out, and we would lose them. So we grew, and we shrank, and we grew, and we shrank. Uh, And uh, that's very much, I guess, been the experience here. Back then, in this message, I asked the question, why are we here? And I think that question is probably just as good for for us today. Why is it that we're here? Well, some of you have been here since the beginning, (laughs) And some have been here for quite a long while. And you've seen this body grow and shrink probably many times over the years. People have come to it. People have left. They grew here. They learned here. And they moved on. Uh, And uh, uh, there's been many answers to prayer. There's been very many memories of those things that have gone by. And then some of us, we've not been here all that long. We've been here a short time. But, uh, so the question then becomes, what brought us here, and why do we stay here? Well, the answer for me, way back then, and it's still exactly the same today, was the truth. I wanted to hear the truth. And John tells us that God's word is truth. Now, my pastor back then, he preached uh, the entire word of God uh, without apology. Uh, We preached through the Bible in a year, and then we went back the next year and dug in deeper. Uh, And that's what our pastor does as well. We don't hear amusing stories. We hear the inspired word of God week by week. He preaches it straight and true. But are we discouraged That was a question I brought back then, too. Are we discouraged because we are so small? And certainly we would have some reasons that we might be discouraged. I mean, we come here week after week to hear the truth, and we see the empty chairs, and we think to ourselves, but the word is so powerfully brought here, and there's so much to learn and to grow. Why is it that we don't have more folks amongst us? And so we could become discouraged over those things. But if anybody has reason to be discouraged, uh, it would be pastor. But he comes faithfully week after week to preach the word to us line by line, uh, straight and true, and we and uh, we should take encouragement uh, just from that as well. We should not be discouraged because we just because we're small, because the truth has never been popular, and you won't find very many large churches that preach the truth. There are some, but they are rare indeed. If you want a large church, you bring amusing stories and you bring entertaining programs. That's the way to build a really big church, but God forbid that we should do that here. But having said that, we should expect that God would add to us those of his sheep that he would entrust to our care. But having said that, I would say, if we expect God to add to us, he expects us to be the kind of people that will look after his sheep properly. And that brought me to another question. Where is here? Or what is here? Uh, We call ourselves Grace Providence Church. And so I thought to seek, what is a church? Well, the Greek word that we have in our Bible... Uh, that's translated church, is the word ekklesia. As you can see, it's a compound word, kalio to call, with the prefix ect out. It means those that have been called out to assemble, and that's the word in the Greek that we have translated as church. Unfortunately, there is another word in the English language from which we get the word church, and that did not come from ekklesia, but rather from a word called koriakon, which means dedicated to the Lord. And this word was oftentimes used to describe a holy place or, or a temple. And I think that's led to the misconception today that the word church refers to a building or an institution or an organization. But that could, nothing could be further uh, from the truth. The Greek word ekklesia refers to people, not to buildings and not to organizations. Uh, this, is fur- this was further uh, compounded by the fact that in the time of Jerome, when the Latin translation was being made, the Latin translation chose to use the word kariakon. Why? Uh, I don't know that. But that it probably explains why so many people spent their entire lives working on those great cathedrals, thinking all the time that they were building God's church. But Christ says to us, I will build my church. Now, I think we all would want to be in the church that Christ is building and not one that we build ourselves. So we might say, what is this church that Christ is building? Who's in it and where does it meet? (laughs) Where is this? I want to be there. Well, we call it the universal church and it is the one that Christ is building, not people. And the definition, really, of the universal church is quite simple. All those who have been savingly joined to Christ through grace, uh, uh, by faith, uh, and have received, and as, as a result of that have received the indwelling baptism of the Holy Spirit, those are the people that make up the body of Christ, the church that Christ is building. Corinthians tells us, That by one spirit, we are baptized into one body. Once. I just, I threw that in. We are baptized once into one one body. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Because, uh, and that then is membership in the church. Romans tells us, uh, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now that that could slip our notice. We all, I think, realize that the body has a lot of parts, uh, fingers and toes and eyes and lips and, and legs and arms, and that the body of Christ also does. But the thing that might slip our notice is that we are also individually members of one another. We belong to a very big family. We call ourselves brother and sister in Christ here, but we have thousands of brothers and thousands of sisters all around the world that are members of the body of Christ. Now, when we were traveling, my wife and I, we were, found ourselves in London, and it was Sunday And we hoped to worship at the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon had preached so many years before. So we set out with good hope and unfortunately became hopelessly lost. London is rather complicated. And uh, when we had given up hope and were headed back to our hotel, there was this little man standing on the street corner and and he seemed to be handing out tracts. And so we approached him and we asked him, Is there some place near that we could worship today? And he motioned us to follow him, and a few steps from the sidewalk there, we entered into this building. I'm not even sure this building had a sign on it. I don't remember any markings that would have identified it. But as we stepped through the door, we stepped into an ecclesia. There was a group of believers there. We had the most wonderful message that day, and the singing was just heavenly. And the people were so warm and friendly, we were home. We were within our family, and yet we were halfway around the world, basically. And yet there they were, that body of Christ, that universal church. And over the years, as we've traveled to various places, similar things have happened to us in in different locations where people have come and uh, we have met with them and just felt at home, instantly at home. Um, The universal church is the physical manifestation of Christ on the earth. But we also have ancestors. Uh, There were many who came by faith alone through the Old Covenant into the universal church. And those have gone before us. And we can consider them ancestors. And we're part of the family as well. Um, Well, the first worship service, in fact, the very first worship service, occurred in the garden in the cool of the day, when Adam walked with God. And then after the fall, God instituted uh, a sacrifice for sin when he slew the animals to make coverings for Adam and Eve. And then uh, there was a prescribed place and a prescribed method of sacrifice. And we know that Abel brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God, while Cain did not. And then there were altars built of stones where God would meet with his people and they would sacrifice. When Noah exited the ark, he built one of those altars and he sacrificed there. And God met with him there. And then in the wilderness, God took some 50 chapters to instruct Israel to build the tabernacle where he met with them there. Now, all of these I think you can see... They are types. They are symbols. They were all prefigures of Christ himself. But God met with them in these, in these places. After they entered the, king, uh, the Holy Land, after they entered the land that was promised to them, uh, King Solomon built a temple, and God met with them there at the temple. So up to this point, all of God's people met together at one time, in one place, and all worshipped pretty much in the same manner. It was, it was unified. But when Israel, due to their disobedience, God allowed the temple to be destroyed and the Jews to be carried off into exile. And in exile, they were only able to meet in small groups. And the idea of synagogue came to be. Uh, synagogue, interestingly enough, is also a word that means to assemble or to gather. It's not a building and it's not an organization. Like the Greek word ekklesia, synagogue refers to people, not buildings or churches, as we call a church uh, an organization. Synagogue was a gathering for prayer, to sing the psalms, to hear the scriptures read, and for fellowship. Uh... When the second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., the diaspora carried with them their synagogue. They took the scriptures, they took their psalms, and they were scattered all over the Roman Empire. But they worshipped not unlike we do today in smaller groups, listening to the scriptures, singing the psalms. Early Christians, in fact, met in spaces that were used for synagogue. I have to make that distinction because I'm, I'm always guilty of falling into that thing of saying in the church they came to the church. I like to think of us as a bunch of churches who have come to the building because this is really nothing. I mean, it keeps the rain off and it gives us light and, and uh, you know, electric power for the stuff. But this isn't it. This is it. And uh, that's what we need to keep in mind all the time. So I have to fight with myself to say it's, it's the churches that have come to the building and not vice versa. But early, the early believers met in spaces that were used by synagogues, and I have to wonder if maybe Sunday didn't come about a little bit because those spaces were available uh, on Sunday. But <laughs> for the first thousand years or so of the Christian church, the hymnals contained only the psalms. They were the, they were the psalms, just as, as in the synagogue. Now, in in the old days, it took ten families to form a synagogue, and there was a reason for that, uh, which I'll get into here in a minute. But today, we could say that any part of the universal church that meets together could be considered a local church. Sometimes in places where there's extreme persecution people have to hide out in order to worship. And it might be that there's only two or three together gathered in the name of God, where he promises to be in their midst. And that can be considered, if it's the members of the body, that is a local, that can be a local church. Now, that's not very convenient, because with two or three, we cannot do the things that God intends for the body to do. We need to have more folks to to do that. And that's why the synagogue... Uh, had ten families. There needed to be support for the rabbi, or in, in the Christian case, for for the pastor. You need to be able to support the pastor in his preaching, and you need to be able to support the works uh, the works of the church as well. So we meet in larger groups, but in some ways we are very much like the Jews. The church of God that Christ is building, the universal church, is all over the world, scattered all over the world. We live amongst strangers, and we live in a place that's not our home. We are in this world, but we are not of the world. We no longer have a temple, a central place to worship. We are the temple. We don't have a specific time to gather together. Some believers meet on Saturday. I was once in a church that met on Sunday afternoons because that was most convenient for the people who were in attendance at that time. So we no longer have a central place. We no longer have a central time. And we certainly don't all worship in the same manner anymore. But the unification is that Christ is our high priest And Christ is our sacrifice. We are described as living stones. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God meets with us through his Holy Spirit, who indwells us now. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple or the Holy of Holies where God meets with his people. He meets with us where we are. He meets with us here. Now, some things in this that might escape our notice as well. But Christ describes himself as the cornerstone. Now, we know that the cornerstone is the very first stone that is laid in the construction. Everything after that is measured and aligned From that stone. Now, there's an implication here. Christ is the cornerstone, which means the apostles and the prophets were built after that. Which means Christ has been the cornerstone since eternity past. And that is an important thing for us to remember. The apostles and the prophets were built upon and off of the cornerstone that Christ laid in eternity past. And that we are being joined together in the temple and that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God. That is, again, the universal church. Thousands of relatives. Uh, You thought you had a lot of relatives maybe at Thanksgiving when it got kind of crowded, but we've got a lot more relatives than that. And that is really a a comforting fact. So we are the body of Christ. We're not an organization, but a living organism. Now, we are divided into many parts by denominational distinctives, but most of those would fit into the second or third circles that Pastor was talking to us about uh, two weeks ago, and then again he mentioned it last week. These circles are things that are of lesser importance, and they have no bearing on salvation. In fact, many of them could be considered simply preferences. So we are not in one place or with one form of worship, and yet we are all unified because we are parts of the universal church, parts of the body of Christ here on earth. Christ does not rule through a vicar. Christ rules through his people. Now, pastor has told us many times from the scriptures that the body contains many parts. And all of these parts, it's it's an example, using the human body to make an example of what the church is like, having all of these various parts. In our ecclesia here, we have a pastor, we have teachers, we have nursery workers, we have a bookkeeper, (laughs) we have those who look after the technical stuff, um, and we have those who bring donuts and look after the coffee. We have those who... Uh, pray for one another, we have those who visit the sick, those that show hospitality, those that give monetarily, and so on. We have parts. Our body is made up of various parts. We are the living stones, as it says, the living stones that will build this temple. We are the parts of the body of Christ that will build the temple here at Grace Providence Church. Each one in his or her own position. But we know that only when all of the members of the body are working properly is the body truly healthy. And that brought me to another question. What are we doing here? Or why are we doing what we're doing here? Jesus calls all of us to his service. The scripture here in Acts, the Acts passage, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we'll all recognize that originally Jesus spoke these words to the disciples and to the apostles. But we have all received, all of us who are members of the the universal body, have received the power of the Spirit's indwelling. And we are all called upon to be witnesses uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And sometimes the uttermost parts of our earth is our little world, which is our families, uh, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, uh, our communities. And we reach out beyond that through missionary efforts to reach uh, uh, the uttermost parts of the earth. But we are all called upon and have this power to testify of that which God has done for us in our lives. The change that he's made in us. The things that he has provided for us. The, the, the things we have learned. We are obligated to, be, uh, to testify, to be witnesses to what has happened there. And we should understand for sure that it's not just apostles or pastors or teachers that are in God's service. But we are all to be in God's service. Christ became a servant for us, and he expects us to be servant to one another. Serving the Lord is a very high calling, and one that we should all aspire to. How? That might be your question now. How, how is this to happen? Well, when we were in lockdown, and we were unable to meet in here, and the weather wasn't really up for us to meet out outside, the only way we were able to meet then is through technical stuff, and we met over Zoom, and and during that time, I brought a message on intercessory prayer, and in that message, I quoted John Milton, John Milton uh, in his sonnet, where he was considering his service to God, and he said at that time, they also serve who only stand and wait, now, that sounds like a, a misstatement there. If you're standing and waiting, it doesn't sound like you're participating. You're, not, you're, you're on the bench. You're not doing anything. But in John Milton's time and in biblical times, standing and waiting were quite different. They refer to a heart attitude and not a position or a time interval. Uh, when we stand and wait in prayer before the Lord for our pastors and our missionaries, Uh, we share in their ministries. We are serving them, and in so serving them, we are serving God. Uh, When we wait upon fellow believers in prayer, once again, we will share in their rewards, we'll share in their joys, we'll share in their sorrows. And once again, in serving them, we are serving God. Now Christ says that he always lives to make intercession... For us in in Hebrews seven twenty five, he expects us to intercede for one another as well. But prayer, unfortunately, too often is discounted or neglected among Christians, and it's certainly mocked and rejected completely by the world. Uh, I also quoted in that message about prayer uh, a pastor from Northern Ireland named Tim Nelson. And he said that when he began many years ago, when he first began his ministry, that he came across a statement that uh, really struck him as true. The prayer of intercession is the highest form of Christian service. And he concluded that in all the years since, he has found nothing that has convinced him that that is any less true. Now, Christ has said to us, that the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And as we know, in serving one another, we are serving Christ as well. And the Father will honor that. If we are to be trusted with more of Jesus' flock, there are certain things that he expects of us. and Let's see some of those. We are to accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. To the glory of God. Christ comforts us in our affliction, but he does that so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted by God. So the things that God gives us, the gifts that we have from God, are intended not for us alone, but they're intended for us to use them, to employ them for the benefit of others as well. We are to bear one another's burdens. And it says, in doing this, we, so, uh, we fulfill the law of God. Now, it, it's very difficult to bear one another's burdens if we don't know what those are. So it's very important that we learn from one another. Now, I think that in one sense, people tend to be private about things that are going on with them, and, and they're not readily come forward with them a lot of times. But we have to understand that within the family... God intends us to share one with another, and we need to talk to people, and we need to meet with them. Quite often, we're here today, and then we'll see each other again in a week, and a lot of things happen in that interval, and we just miss them. They just go by, not for the people enduring them or going through them, but for the rest of us. So it's very important that we get to know one another as family members, as brothers and sisters. So Invite somebody for a meal or, or accept an invitation to a meal or get together maybe during the week sometime when it's convenient and, and just find out what's going on. Because if we are to pray intelligently or effectively for each other, we need to know what to pray about. I mean, we can pray generally and say, you know, God bless them and keep them well and this and that and the other. But if there's specific things that you're going through that would benefit from additional prayer... And we all need to be praying about that. So think about that. God intends us to share one with another. And we need to talk to people and we need to meet with them. Quite often we're here today and then we'll see each other again in a week. And a lot of things happen in that interval and we just miss them. They just go by. Not for the people enduring them or going through them, but for the rest of us. So it's very important that we get to know one another as families members, as brothers and sisters. So invite somebody for a meal or, or accept an invitation to a meal. Or get together maybe during the week sometime when it's convenient and, and just find out what's going on. Because if we are to pray intelligently or effectively for each other, we need to know what to pray about. I mean, we can pray generally and say, you know, God bless them and keep them well and this and that and the other. But if there's specific things that you're going through that would benefit from additional prayer, then we all need to be praying about that. So think about that. Uh, Where am I? Okay. Okay, we are to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, and always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Well, that seems straightforward on the surface of it. We are to be hospitable one to another without grumbling. And here we go again with the gifts. As each one has received a gift, employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then that one that crept in there, contributing to the needs of the saints. Now, that that doesn't just mean money. That means time, that means other resources, that means time in prayer for them, time finding out what to pray about from them. So uh, contributing to those needs can be other things than contributing monetarily. Okay. Now John gives us a bit of a warning about that. He says, Whosoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the word abide in him? Well, I think we see that that's a rhetorical question. And the answer is it doesn't abide very well in him, if that's what he does. But then he encourages us, children, let us not love in, in, uh, with word or with deed. In other words, let's don't just talk about it. Let's do something about it. Indeed and in truth. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. Now, I think we see that the household of faith is the church we've been talking about. It's that universal church that all Christ's people belong to. So we are to do good, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be, but also to all men in general. And there's also a thing here about discouragement. It says that let us not grow weary of well-doing. You can grow weary of well-doing when you don't see things happening right away. But it says we well reap if we faint not. We will see results if we faint not. So that is an encouragement against discouragement. We talked about prayer, intercessory prayer, and the power of prayer and how that works. And I, when, when Herod imprisoned Paul on the eve of the day before he was to be brought out and tried, you will recall that the Ecclesia there in that place were praying for Paul. And through prayer, he received a miraculous release, as we see what Paul told us, that the chains fell off from him. And uh, even though the prison that he was in was guarded by many, many Roman soldiers, the iron gates opened all by themselves, And he walked out of there. Now, that's a pretty miraculous thing. But that was the result of the prayers of the people for him. And I think Paul believed very much in the words of James when he said that the fervent, uh, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. And right before James wrote those words, he said, pray for one another because that prayer is effective and it will avail much. We are to encourage each other day by day so that none will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So that also implies that we need to be in contact with one another more often than perhaps just here on the Lord's Day. Now this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What he's describing here is that healthy church that I was talking about. When all the parts were functioning properly and the church was hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. uh, Paul was very much informed about things that were going on in the churches that he founded, started, and also those churches that he visited on his travels. People would travel back and forth uh, for business or whatever, and he would get a report about what's going on. There were many letters that passed to and fro, not just the epistles that we have in Scripture, but many just daily common letters between people. And Paul would be very well advised about what was going on in these various churches. And sometimes Paul would send out one of his close companions to check on the church or to help them in some way. And indeed, he sent Timothy to the church in Thessalonica, uh, and he ministered with them for a while. And then he returned to Paul and he gave a report. And Paul wrote this in his first letter. This is a glowing report indeed. It says, You became imitators of us and the Lord with the joy of the Holy Spirit and have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in the Lord has gone forth everywhere. Well, this is a glowing report indeed. This is a church that is standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith. And uh, quite, quite a high praise indeed. That brought me to the question that if we were to have a visitor that would come into our midst, what kind of a report would they make? And I would leave us with this thought. Brothers, do, no, do not lose heart in doing good, We mustn't be discouraged because, as we're told, we will reap uh, if we faint not. Now, maybe you'll notice this is the second letter to that church in Thessalonia. So, as you can see, that even a church that seems to have it all and everything going in the right direction is not immune from discouragement, from faint-heartedness, from falling, uh, falling behind. And he encourages them there to not lose heart. So in that I would leave us with this thought that we should hold fast to the promises and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more. So that is my prayer for us that we would rise to God's expectations and that he would entrust to us some of his flock. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.